Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. You are listening to part two of our look at Till Death Is Due Part. If you haven't listened to part one yet, do go back and check that out first because this is a continuation. We're halfway through talking about a specific episode. That's series five, episode four. It's called Three Day Week. And we have already talked about the careers of Tony Booth and Dandy Nichols. So go and catch that if you haven't already. And for everyone else, we're going straight back into our discussion. Enjoy. So yeah, let's let's jump back into our episode a little bit. Yeah, and, and and like most episodes, there's not a lot of plot going on. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it does largely revolve around conversational stuff. There's yeah. there's the odd episode where something very specific is happening, like oh, Alf's broken his leg and he's in a wheelchair and they're all wheeling him around and that, and hilarity ensues. Mm-hmm. So they they do do that every now and then, but obviously Johnny Spate is at his happiest just writing people shouting at each other. Uh, yeah, I think if I could summarize this episode, we're talking about the three day week. That's the that's the sort of topical angle of it. But it is essentially them all in a room for 25 minutes talking and they are manipulating Alf into else getting this new coat. And that's it. That is what happens in this episode. I, I realize I made that sound rubbish, but but it's great. <laughs> Yeah, and often these episodes don't particularly have that. <laughs> so sometimes it does just feel like people shouting at each other. At least this one has a sort of a, an end, a punchline. In terms of what's actually happening, Alf hasn't got his dinner. Elsa's on a three-day week. So what is Alf going to do? Mm. At first, he decides he's going to make his own dinner. Goes into the kitchen and starts bashing about. He doesn't, yeah. doesn't make any sort of genuine attempt to make anything. All sound and fury. Making a lot of noise, which is quite funny. And then again, as we've seen with Rita, she... It's unclear in this episode how much she's on. She knows what her mum's doing mm-hmm. is, is working yeah. with her because she gets up and she goes, "Oh, I'll make something for you." You know, she she's trying to mollify the situation. She's like yeah. you say, she's been brought up in this household. She's probably used to that. But then it turns out there isn't any food to make because Mike ate it all for lunch, <laughs> which you know the ultimate insult for Alf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this this cuckoo in the nest who keeps <laughs> eating his food. <laughs> and again, in terms of the conflict between these two characters. A great dynamic because Alf always has the upper hand. Because no matter what Mike says to him, it's like, oh, you live under my roof, don't you? Who's paying the mortgage on this place? You know, like they pay in, they pay a bit of rent in. But, you know, obviously he's giving him family rates. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the ultimate puncturer (laughs) for Mike. Like there's only so much he can... Yeah, he can get away with. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because he is on the gravy train. I tell you what, there's a couple. Of, I wanted to highlight a couple of things that uh, Dandy Nichols says. Where mm. I just thought she had really, really great timing. Oh, she's amazing. So, for example, she says, "Oh, you could have some cheese," and he said, basically, he says, "I don't want cheese. I'm not a bloody mouse." <laughs> and she just quietly says, "I wish you was. I'd put a trap down." <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but it's just this really quiet, still response, and it just punctures him completely. And then, yeah. and then he says, because uh, he's, he's been moaning the fact he hasn't got any hot food. He said, "I don't want bread and cheese. I want hot dinner." You could put some mustard on it. <laughs> Again, just completely deflates him. And but but her, but it's, the delivery and the timing is really great, really yeah, noteworthy. Yeah. Very very deadpan all the way mm-hmm. through. She is, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's very typical uh, of the character and, and the performance. Yeah, the, the, like I say, this episode is very else heavy. Shows mm-hmm. her at her best. It feels so much more focused in those in those later series where Alf. Is a bit of a buffoon, and you have this other character kind of just mm. breaking him down. Everything he says, she has an answer to it. And, and you yeah. don't get that in these early series. And I actually think that makes Alf a stronger character, mm-hmm. but it's a 
difficult balancing act to make that funny, to make that yeah. acceptable. <laughs> shall we? Shall we get into that? Shall we get yeah, into let's the address acceptability the... of it? There's a bit of an elephant in the room, isn't it? African or Indian elephant? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I just stopped myself from saying about three different things. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Look, I think we we've got to um, we've got to address the racism. The sexism, the homophobia that all goes on here. So the main controversy, let's call it here, is that Johnny Spate, Warren Mitchell, and generally everybody involved in the show uh, assert that we've created a racist character, but he Mm. is a figure of fun, and we show him up to be the fool that he is. Mm. And a lot of outside commentators, and indeed a lot of uh, the general viewing audience, go, good old Alf Garnet finally saying things (laughs) we're all thinking. I don't quite fall on either side. As we've we've talked about, I think he is a figure of fun. He is deliberately made out to be the the loser in many situations, and so by that token, his actions and his his ideas are, are, are mocked. But... I don't think it's satirical enough to get away with that. Yes. I think with Till Death Is Do Part, the problem fundamentally is that Alf Garnet is a horrible man. Yeah. It's not the words that he uses. It's not even the ideas that he espouses, because as we've said with other examples, you can make that funny. You can make them a figure of fun. It's that he's not sympathetic. He's not He's not a nice man. He's a horrible bully. And so just that unpleasantness of character rings through everything that he says yes i think if he never said anything racist he would still be a really horrible husband and you watch all yeah. of that domestic life you wouldn't you wouldn't like the guy yes i agree with that uh, I, I, the counter argument is that yeah he's an unpleasant person and that's why we mock him and that's where the humor comes from yeah and, uh, and like i say i don't think that quite goes far enough you that we, we fall between two stools here of making him an interesting and sympathetic character which actually makes the character work better yeah but then he still needs to get his comeuppance in some way. Yeah. And perhaps that is partially context as well, because we watch this now with his opinions from the 60s, and we think that is absolutely outrageously racist, and you couldn't, you can't, that is absolutely unacceptable. You know, people just don't think that way anymore. But back then, that was like, oh, dad, the older generation yeah. is a bit racist, isn't he? But, you know, whatever, what can you do? Do you know, I think that's, I think that's fair. I, I think that you're right. I think that in 1965, it, the, it probably sat on that line quite nicely in that, you know, oof, ooh, he's, he's gone too far there, but it was funny mm. in, in much the same way as perhaps Al Murray was in 2000. But, you know, that material might not work now because times change. Yes. But also it's in terms of the, the, the structure of the show and the character and stuff, when Alf gets his comeuppance, like I say, it's it's not enough based on how we view his opinions now. So it's like if someone sure. murdered a child and then they were like, well, you're not getting ice cream after dinner. It's like, <laughs> that's yes, that person loses, but that's not enough, is it? <laughs> it's like, it's a extreme example. I, I take the point. I understand the point you are, um, you are smashing home. <laughs> it's, there needs to be a, a greater punishment, I guess, but a greater... Um, mm comeuppance and we don't get enough of that and perhaps that wasn't quite the same in the 60s and 70s although you know it's not like this controversy has come from people looking back 40 years it was there at the time people was people were saying these things at the time well yeah i mean there's a couple of mentions of enoch powell in the early in the early series 
you know, Enoch Powell famously made that Rivers of Blood speech in 1968. Yeah, like if you look at the history, the reason that he made that speech then, as opposed to at any other time, is because there was the Race Relations Act going through Parliament, which was in 1968. Right. And that was the first law in the UK which would outlaw racial discrimination. So, you know, you hear stories about accommodation would have no blacks, no Irish, that kind of mm. thing. You know, that, that was legal, that was fine, until 1968. So the Labour government, as part of their social reforms, they brought in this law that meant it was illegal to discriminate against someone for racial right. reasons. And people didn't like that. So Enoch you know, Powell made this speech, and Ted, he was, a, he was in the shadow cabinet. Conservatives were out of government at the time. And Ted, he sacked him for it. But there were opinion polls at the time that suggested that a majority of people agreed with him, you know. So it wasn't like that he wasn't this sort of fringe guy there was plenty of people like Alf Garnett who who would have agreed with him and it was it was almost like you know you're not allowed to say this but you know Enoch was right that that kind of attitude yeah I mean if you've seen anything in recent years like with Brexit and all that it's the mm. you know you can have a 51 to 49 percent split <laughs> in the population and that means we're going down on one side like it or not so mm. obviously you can have a lot of people who aren't going to agree with that let, let me ask you about something specific, which is, you mentioned already Spike Milligan, who appears in right, a couple yeah. of episodes in, in, in Brownface as mm. a Pakistani character. And, you know, we, we've talked, we've alluded in the past to the sitcom Curry and Chips that he made. Yes. Like, was this Spike Milligan's thing? Was this a thing that he did regularly? Yes. He loved oh it. Oh, my God. I'm not, I'm not defending this on any level. I think <laughs> this is horrible. Well, Curry and Chips was written in, uh, by Johnny Spate based on uh, Spike Milligan's idea. Uh, right. And this, this character they wanted to play. So Korean Chips was made in 1969 yeah. and was considered so racist and appalling in 1969 mm. <laughs> that they took it off air. That takes some doing. That character that Spike Milligan, the Pakistani Irish character that. Oh, it's the same guy. He is in Till Death is Do Part after Korean Chips. Right. Okay. So unacceptable, but let's bring him back. Exactly. Well, we can't build a series around this guy, but let's just drop him in a couple of episodes for, a couple, for some laughs. You sent us a you sent us an episode. It's the same series as this three day week, and I'm not even going to say the episode name because it's got a horrible word in it. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know they're in the pub and there's Spike Milligan in his brown face, and they sort of they sort of make a joke of it. He's, he's supposed to be half Irish, half Pakistani, so make a joke of it or, or acknowledge the joke by saying, "Well, he's got English features. If it wasn't for his colour, he might be one of us." Which mm. you know, of course, he is. And you know the 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 joke is that Alf's taking the mickey and being horrible and it turns out that it's his new neighbor can you imagine anything worse and that's that's alf's comeuppance he's got this pakistani guy as his neighbor have the council moved you in next door then oh yes yes i am the new lodger but i am not allowed to say so and i must also not beat tom toms cook curry or keep chickens under the bed and i must not sublet wardrobe to pakistani families oh my name is kevin o'grady Howdy Yeah, that's the punishment, is you have to live next door to a foreign. But, but do you remember the punchline of this whole scene? So um, Spike Milligan leaves the pub, there's a, an explosion sound effect, and he comes back in and goes, bloody Irish! Because <laughs> the Irish blow things up. Uh, that's the joke. Good old that's the joke. You tale. thought it was bad that he was Pakistani, but it actually turns out that the Irish are worse. That is the joke. <laughs> yeah, that... As much as I can mount some kind of defense for Alf Garnet in, in general as a rounded character, or as a realistic character, I suppose, that is, that's the crucial thing. Alf Garnet, as much as mm. he is a deplorable character, you yep. recognize him. Yes. I know a bloke like that. That bloke in the yep. pub is like that. My dad's uncle, whatever, is like that. 
Yeah. But the, this is just a ridiculous character. And and the reason for that is because Johnny Spate was writing Alf Garnet based on people he knew, like mm. his his relationship with his dad, like I said, the bloke down the pub. Mm. Obviously, he's never met a Pakistani person. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Neither has Spike Milligan. They don't, I don't think I've ever met an Irish person <laughs> by the sounds of either. <laughs> And that is a crucial difference. If you're writing something you know and writing a rounded character and creating a rounded character, you're putting so much more into it and making it realistic. So even if you ultimately don't agree with it, it still holds together. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is just a stupid joke making fun of people. And and that's that's the crucial difference between your Alf Garnet and Kevin McNally or whatever this character is supposed to be called. Uh, It was Kevin O'Grady was the (laughs) the character. That's what his name was. I was thinking of what's his face who redid all the Hancock stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's Kevin McNally, yeah. <laughs> So another thing I want to address. Well, let's not. You know, we're diving into the racial angle here. So let's talk about Judaism. Yeah. Like I say, I only watched six or seven episodes, and there were several of those episodes where there's this kind of in joke that people think Alf is Jewish, mm. and he's oh, I'm bloody not Jewish, and you know he's really angry and defensive about it and obviously we know that warren mitchell is jewish so so i kind of yeah. thought all right well, there's a bit of a joke here they're they're having a bit of joke an in joke if you like but then in that episode with spike milligan in it we learn that actually alf's dad was jewish mm. he's he, he drops his blustery defensiveness and he kind of he still he still denies that he's jewish you know but but he he starts saying well i've got nothing against him uh you know you've got to have them i've met some nice ones and else says yeah but i didn't like your dad though (laughs) (laughs) like without wanting to get into the whole uh world of anti-semitism here because i think that's another kind of worms we could probably do without my question really is within the character does that inform his racism that he's got this kind of defensive you know, he's scared of being exposed. Is that, is that a thing? Am I overplaying that? Um, I think it's written in just to undercut him. As, like, they say that that's the whole point. You know, that mm. he's a ridiculous character. The fact that he's racist and anti-Semitic and he's a Jew. Like, it's, it's, the, it's yeah. the, like, the ultimate undercutting of his his ideas. But, yeah, I mean, the the general idea is that his father was probably Jewish, but certainly not practicing in any way. You know, it's not like he'd been brought up yeah. Jewish or anything, but he's just got those Jewish features, and that's what, that's what it is. Yeah. And, and again, that is, you know, Warren Mitchell was of Jewish stock, but not, yeah. not raised Jewish in any kind of religious sense. And so it might have just come from that. It might have just come from the casting. It's like, oh, we've got this guy who looks Jewish enough that we can make so these I jokes. Sure he does. I mean, you know, I, I, again, I don't really get into well, yeah, what describing does that mean, and defining but, yeah. stereotypes. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think... But like, I, I guess the point is, is uh, am I... I'm asking, is this a clever way of ascribing some um, psychological depth to the character or is it, just, is it just a silly joke that they keep making? I think it can be both. The fact that they keep coming back to it and sort of ingrain it in the backstory rather than just as a mm. throwaway gag. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, look, let's, um, like I say, I think, I, think, I think we've been fair. I think we've talked about that in, in as uh, realistic a way as we can. Well, look, I tell you what, we've just, um, we sort of touched on it. Let's talk a little bit more about Warren Mitchell because obviously he's the, the beating heart of Till Death Has Do Part. So, yes, definitely. Go on. T- tell, me, tell me a bit about, more about his background. Well, he was, like I say, he's of Jewish stock. Uh, he was born in 1926. So he's about 20 years younger than uh, Dandy mm. Nichols, who's playing his wife there. And 20 years younger than Alf Garnet. Yeah, yeah, basically. He would have mm. been, what, that would have made him about 40 when the show started. Yeah. 
I think they're supposed to be in their 50s. He was uh, apparently a bit of a child actor, like in terms of just as a hobby sort of thing. He was interested in acting from a very early age, but then wasn't particularly compelled to pursue it as an adult until he, he joined the RAF um, during the war, it was right at the tail end of the war. And as part of that, ended up going to Oxford University as part of the training there for like a six month thing. And, you know, I've, I've heard him talk about that in quite great detail and felt very out of place there. You know, he wasn't, hmm. a, he wasn't Oxford material particularly, but learned a lot it seems like you know it's when you join the aria or like national service and all that it's like kind of really widens your horizons you're meeting people from all sorts of different backgrounds but one of the people he met there uh, who was doing the same course as him at the raf was richard burton okay and richard burton who was still a young man at the time but had had some experience as an actor and he said yeah go and do acting it's great you should do it and so that that kind of encouraged him so after after leaving the raf he uh, went to rada for a couple of years and then started working and like everyone else really just slowly worked his way up worked on hancock's half hour you know did that sort of thing yeah did, did a bit of tv on that as well as the radio show uh then he was in drake's progress that was a show with charlie drake he okay, was in yeah. he was in that regularly he was in a handful of episodes of uh, bootsy and snudge uh, which mm-hmm. was a spin-off of the army game with alfie bass who we'll talk about a bit later mm. because he turns up in this and and then yeah this role came his way and he wasn't the first choice apparently peter sellers was interesting dennis may wilson's first choice which would have been felt like that would have been a much more of a comedy character style. A bit whereas, more Spike Milligan. Yes. Whereas Warren Mitchell is a relatively unknown character actor. He embodied the role so much more and basically Warren Mitchell became Alf Garnet after the sixties. Yeah. You know, like that was all he was known for. And he, he, he kept it up right up until right up until Johnny Spate died in ninety eight. Yeah, well I know that he did obviously we talked about in sickness and in health and he did various other iterations and live shows and all those sorts of things so he did mm. he certainly um he certainly went back to the well yeah but did he did he i always got the impression of him as being a little bit a little bit resentful perhaps that you know he could have been a could have been a serious actor and you know a little bit of the uh, harry h corbett thing am i misreading that i don't think so i don't think so i think he did all right i i think he did more theater work mm. um in it and he won a couple of Olivier awards. I remember him, you know, like uh, he certainly did. He play King Lear. I remember him playing King Lear, and yeah, that yeah, being a big Lear. deal. Uh, but yeah, he won. He won an Olivier award in 1979, and then in 2004. You know, it's a, okay. he was. I think in the public eye, he was always off garnet. But I think, I think in the world of theatre, you know, things are a bit different, and he was happy yeah. there. No, he always seemed happy with this character, and it's obviously so much of him in it, as much as, and I've heard him in interviews basically praising Johnny Spate's writing, mm. and saying that he was a genius writer and stuff like that, but when I know that in those early years there was a lot of improv going on, and those characters came so much from the actors, and I've heard him in interviews where basically... The interviewer goes, oh, what about this? What would Alf think about this? And he just slips into it straight away and just starts riffing mm. material. Mm. He can obviously improv that character so easily. I, yeah. And it became his signature thing. And, and I think he was happy with that. As far as I could tell, I, I, he seemed very happy to dust that character off. Yeah. And, and the beauty of that was, because he was 20 years younger than the character was meant to be, they got so much more life out of it <laughs> than you, you would uh, expect. He retired the character when Johnny Spate died. So that was... But that was 30-odd years after they'd started. So I'm just uh, looking here. I think we've missed a couple of things we could go back and talk about. We missed out Eunice Stubbs. We talked about Rita quite a lot. But, but Eunice Stubbs, uh, perhaps in contrast to the others, I don't think of this as her, you know, like the only thing she did as her yeah. main headline. Again, this is perhaps my age. I remember her being in Wurzel Gummidge. I loved Wurzel yeah. Gummidge when I was a kid. 
but you know, she 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 died a couple of years ago, but she was she was working pretty solidly right up to her death, wasn't she? Mm. She died about four months ago, actually. <laughs> so it wasn't oh, really? okay. wasn't long at all. Yeah, twenty twenty one. It was. Yeah, Eunice Stubbs. Uh, yeah, like you say, I think she's the exception in that she had a, quite a big career outside of Till Death Was Do Part. She, mm. she started out as a dancer, a pretty young woman, and and so kind of did modelling, and she was in like an advert for Dairy Box and and stuff like that. You know, she actually has an early appearance. One of her early TV appearances is in The Strange World of Gurney Slade, which is a weird meta-style sitcom in the, from the 60s that was like breaking down the, the form before it had even been created. It's an <laughs> interesting thing we'll have to talk about someday. But Yeah, her film career started out with, with Cliff, Cliff Richard films mm, in the 60s, course. a couple yeah. of those. Summer Holiday, I remember. Summer Holiday, that. yeah. Um, impromptu quiz question, which other sitcom name was in Summer Holiday? Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen it for so long. <laughs> Melvin, Hayes. Melvin Hayes. Oh, really? In, uh, yeah, okay. some of those oh, yes, yes. No, I, no, I can picture it now. Yes, you've said it. Yeah. Like, every, like everyone else, Till Death Was Depart was her breakthrough role, the one that kind of made her a, a known name. And she went on to parlay that into a bit more of a career, a bit more of a, a, a wide-ranging career than the others did. Mm. She, so she would have been 29 when the show started. And Tony Booth was probably about 35. I think they're supposed to be like eight years younger than that. I think they're supposed to yeah. be kind of early to mid twenties. Yeah. And again, I think that shows up a bit more in the later series when, you know, they're in their forties. I also think there's a, and we talked a little bit about this with the rag trade, the the, the change from black and white to color. And, <laughs> you know, perhaps the way it's been preserved, as you said, the old yeah, black and yeah, white episodes yeah. are recorded off the telly. You can kind of get away with being the wrong age when it's grainy black and white. Whereas <laughs> when it's color, even though it's not HD, it's like, ooh, who suddenly got older? <laughs> yeah but yeah she she carried on she was in a couple of episodes of till death she was in quite a few episodes of in sickness and in health yeah whereas tony booth after this the original show ended he didn't really want to have anything to do with it she kept coming back like you say wurzel gummidge in mm. the late 70s early 80s i'll tell you who i noticed playing a little girl in wurzel gummidge do you know yeah. who it was no charlotte coleman Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Do you know, I, well, I haven't. I haven't gone back and watched it. I don't really want to. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, in the eighties, give us a clue. Yeah. Well, I, again, give us a clue. I used to watch that all the time. I don't know what time it was on, but it was just one of those things that there was two hours of kids telly on every night, and that was a lot. So, so you had to watch things like Give Us a Clue and Blankety Blank. That was that was the what entertainment consisted of for kids. <laughs> During all this time, did a lot of theatre work as well, and then had a bit of a swan song for her career the sort of last 10 years of her life um as mrs hudson in the in sherlock and the benedict yes. cumberbatch sherlock right. so i think that in terms of the last 10 years that's what she's most recognizable for but here's a here's a bit of sitcom connection for you that i found so during the 70s in the early 70s she was married to nikki henson does that name mean anything to you yeah but i can't get jim henson out of my head i'm back on the Muppet <laughs> show well, Nicky Henson came up for me recently when I watched uh, Lucky Fella because he played in the pilot episode, he played the older brother of Randy okay. Mepstead, but then didn't play it in the show. But you will know him from an episode of Faulty Towers in which he is like the sexy medallion man who oh, is chatting right. up yeah. uh, <laughs> I know who you mean, yes. uh, Sybil on the on the desk. Yeah, so yeah. that is uh, that is Nicky Henson. So that was her <sighs> husband at the time. And their son, one of their sons, Christian Henson, is a composer who, amongst other things, did the music for Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps. <laughs> wow. So how's that for a sitcom connection? Heady 
<laughs> I was very pleased with that. That's good. I, I have the horrible feeling you're going to ask me that in a quiz episode at some point in the future. And I'm not going to remember any of it. Go on, write that down. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what then, before we sort of um, mop up all our loose ends, we should go back to the episode and just, uh, Mm. yeah, finish that off for us, Alan. Yeah, so basically what we're we're building up to here is that Else is manipulating uh, Alf. Well, she's on strike, basically, is what she's doing. She's demanding more money. Mm. Um, And so he he gets backed into a corner where he has to pay for her new coat. Yeah. So, yeah, he agrees to buy this new coat and then she she disappears and comes back wearing it. She's already bought it. (laughs) Lovely coat. It's a lovely coat. It's a lovely coat. And one of the things I really like about Else, in as much as all the characters are recognisable in one way or another, I feel like Else is someone I know. I feel like that's, you know, my gran. Mm. Not in a very direct way. And and coming from, you know, myself from a very working class background, that, that idea of saving up to have a new coat and yeah. that's going to last you 20 years and now in my very sort of comfortable middle class lifestyle it, it seems like a different world it seems like this world of poverty this hand-to-mouth world and i know that there's lots of people still live in that situation you know i'm not i'm not completely uh you know in a, in a little middle class bubble but i i grew up in that environment and i find it all quite sad really i think that else has a very sad life and i don't mm. think she's particularly happy which is why it makes it all the better when she starts standing up for herself a bit more and and kind of knocking out down a bit it's sort yeah. of, at least you you know you feel like she's she's okay yeah Whereas Alf and Mike are the two extremes of poli- political debate, Elsa's is the, the sort of the common man, the person in the street. And she says in this episode, like, oh, I've been through 11 prime ministers in my life and I've never had anything. I've, you know, it doesn't matter who's mm. in power. I still haven't got anything. And I think that is echoing, you know, the, the thoughts of a lot of people out there in the world. And yeah. as much as that's not really correct... Your life is affected by what's going on, but it might not feel it at a very base level. And, and that's how people vote on a base level. They're not thinking, yeah. oh, well, you know, 20 years ago, if I got sick, I was just left to die. Now I can get medical care, mm. you know, things like that. I, I think else represents the common man. And, and I think it's really nice to have that. It's nice to have her say that when you've got these two political ends of the spectrum going at each other. Mm. Uh, so again i think that's really good writing i think that's a really nice balance between these these this family you got this idea of conservatives and progressives and again i don't mean the conservative party the the, the phenomenon of the, of the working class tory people who just like the status quo they like things mm-hmm. how they were i know my place but i'm happy with my place and they wanted to conserve that yeah a lot of people don't like change and if you've got a progressive in this case personified by mike who wants revolution and 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 all of these changes social changes you know immigration um, homosexuality all of that kind of thing that people fear change mm. and and economic change as well even though that economic change might benefit someone like alf he, he sees it he fears it it's change it's different i'm all right things are fine the status quo is fine and I think that's the tension, rather than conservative versus Labour. And perhaps you're right that else, else is kind of that, that everyman character who's like, well, you know, the status quo isn't really doing me all that much good. You know, I don't want revolution, but it'd be nice to have a new coat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's, you know, that's how people vote. <laughs> it'd be nice to have a new coat, metaphorically speaking. Like I say, that's why I think this episode works nicely. There's not, there's not too much racism. Mm-hmm. 
Alf is just throwing his weight around and ends up with egg on his face. Uh, and, and that's kind of a nice sitcom premise. It's entertaining. Yeah. It's fun. We get some nice political topical references, some really well-drawn characters, well-acted. This is the best episode of Till Death Has It's kind of the succinct summation of it. One of the problems that, that hit it were, was Dandy Nichols uh, became too ill to, to be working regularly and had to drop out of the series. And so mm. series, the last couple of series, which would be series six and seven, yeah. she was no longer in. And, and they, wrote it, they wrote it in that she had gone to stay with her sister in Australia. Her yeah. sister was ill, and so she'd gone out there to look after her and then ended up staying there for quite a long time. You don't just pop over to Australia. And it's very interesting how they deal with this because Alf basically says, no, you're not going. I'm not going to allow it. And she, they just ignore him, obviously. Yeah. Again, impotent fury. <laughs> and then there's quite a bit of him having to learn to live without her, mm-hmm. which mostly means Rita looks after him a bit more. <laughs> yeah. And it's an interesting thing because I think if she died, like if the character had died, that might be different. But there's always this sense that she's just, she's going to come back any moment. But then they start having in plot points where she's basically saying, I want a divorce and, and that sort of thing. And But they never quite nail it down because she's not there and they didn't have the actor available to do the other side of the, the phone call or the other side of the argument, whatever. Hmm. It, it feels a little bit disjointed. So it's almost like they're just they're just doing it to kind of remind you that she still exists. Yeah, and throughout it all, and and this is a big problem with the character in general, I think, and with the show. Throughout it all, there is never, never get any sense or feel of love or affection between this couple, between yeah. Alf and Elsa. It's purely. You know, there's not even much of a sense of like, oh, well, we used to be in love when we were young and courting. <laughs> it's like, look, we got to, we got to do something here. We got to settle down and have some kids. What are we doing? Are we doing this or what? And then it's like, it's a business transaction. I earn some money. You look after the house. I, I'm dinner on the table when I get home. And that really takes a lot. Uh, like I say, how this is just a generally unpleasant experience. You don't mm. really get much sense of him loving his daughter either. There's there's some nice bits, particularly early on, between Rita and Mike, where you really do get a sense of them being this young couple in love, and yeah. they're you know he's a Randy Scouse git, so you know they're <laughs> kind of all over each other all the time. They're very playful with each other. That's quite nice. Yeah, you sort of lose that later on as well, which again is perhaps a realistic representation but it doesn't help (laughs) make the show any more palatable so just in terms of talking about this is it's an unpleasant experience to watch it and that's part of it there's no warmth there's no warmth in in there is no warmth you know you could probably make a gritty kitchen sink drama about them but not a sitcom that's it this feels like a gritty kitchen sink drama or it could at least be like a light-hearted one it's like when we when we spoke about carla lane she likes to write drama with some humor in it (laughs) but she got fell into the world of sitcoms and so it never it just never felt funny enough yeah she's writing a mildly funny soap opera and I, I feel the same with Johnny Spade. It's like this is this is angry young man territory and and social realism. Mm. But you're trying to write a sitcom, and maybe it's just not funny enough. Yeah. But more important than that, when it, when we come when it comes down to it, we're defining we're defending this as satire. It's allowed to be racist because we're actually satiring racism. Where does that line fall? I think the problem with Till Death Was Dupart is that it's not clever enough. It's very superficial. It's showing a racist, bigoted character and going, oh, look, that's a racist, bigoted plo- bloke, in it? And we don't agree with that. That's not enough. And I think that 
is my major problem with Till Death Is Do Part. Okay, let's talk about um, as as um, Dante Nichols was poorly and not in it anymore. They brought in some sort of additional characters. Yeah, uh, I saw some you know some sitcom stalwarts: Patricia Hayes, Joan Sims, mm. Pat Coombs, Alfie mm. Bass. So do they? I don't want to necessarily get into the detail of every single character and what they do, but do you think they sort of fill the gap? Do they just just from a dramatic point of view, from a comedic point of view? Uh, they fill the gap, whether it's with something you like or not, is a different matter. Mm. <laughs> Patricia Hayes is definitely the the main element, uh, and Alfie Bass the main. El- so Patricia Hayes had played the character prior to this. Um, yeah, she's just a neighbour, isn't she? Yes, that's right. She's the woman next door. Alfie Bass is brought in to play Bert, who's which was a, an actor change there, but he became a regular character as well. They're in every episode, really, in the last couple of series. Alfie Bass plays Bert, and Bert is just Alf's mate. You know, they go to the pub together. Mm. Having quite rarely uh, spent time together before, like I say, he was an occasional character. Now they're together all the time. Yeah. And because his wife's gone, you know, Min comes round and looks after him. And they, and, and they do all kinds... They get into some weird stuff where Min tries to seduce him. And, like, she literally jumps on him at one point. And the problem with all that is it's kind of inconsistent. It's like, mm. oh, we're going to do this right now for this gag. But then the next episode, it's going to be different. And it never really holds together. It all becomes a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, Pat Coombs is in it, sort of a sort of semi-regular. There's basis. a scene in the uh, one of the later episodes that I watched, the window, and the, the, mm. the setup is Al's trying to clean the window, and he gets stuck outside the window, yeah. and he's asking for help. And down on the street below him, there's Patricia Hayes and Pat Coombs, and basically they're talking to each other about just inconsequential rubbish. You know, did you see such and such? And oh yeah, so and so said this, and blah blah blah. And they're just gossiping, chatting. And you know what's going to happen. Any minute, Alf's going to go, bloody hell, come on, help me out, you know. And you're waiting for this kickoff. Mm. I timed it. They went five minutes and 30 seconds before anything changed. I'm shocked that it was that short because it felt like 20 The whole minutes. point of the conversation is they're talking about nothing. They're talking about inconsequential rubbish whilst Alf is in trouble. Yeah. Like, that's the point. Five and a half minutes of inconsequential rubbish is not good television. Mm. It's a 30-second gag, isn't it? Like, And then he yeah. shouts. My Wally, he says that since that woman, that, that Mrs. Castle... Margaret. Yes. Well, since she got her hands on yes. the health service, the health she's, she's bought, bought, a, bought big a big house. house. Yes. yes. And they've made her husband a lord. <gasps> and then things don't cost nothing. No, they don't cost no. nothing. No, so you see, that's why when it's our turn, Ming, to be sick, there's not going to be no hospitals nor no nurses not to look after us. No. Well, it's always the same money. And he's not saying anything throughout all that. He's just sat there. And the reason I sent that episode was a kind of like, look what this has become. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what's this I mean, that, it was like, well, we'll film five minutes 30 and then we'll edit out, you know, for time. <laughs> yeah, hell, yeah, we need, all we need to fill the broadcast slot, which is perhaps not that far removed from what happened. Ever since that health service started and everything was free, she has never been so well. And I actually really like the way they're interacting with each other. As a comedy sketch, it works. I love the way that Patricia Hayes just repeats people, the end mm. of people's sentences. It's like there's a nice little character thing that she does quite a lot. Mm. Uh, and she's really annoying as a character, but it's supposed yeah. to be. I, was, I always found myself getting really irritated. And I was like, come on, I'll shout at them for God's sake. Yeah, exactly. And you just want, yeah, exactly. The one time you want Alf to shout at someone, he's not doing it. 
So, yeah, that was just a sort of ridiculous episode. And I think that is a bit more typical of those later later shows. And, and then when we go into the sequels, Patricia Hayes is, is, in, is a regular in, in those as well. Let's talk about just just talk about the sequels briefly. Obviously, we're not reviewing In Sickness and In Health here. So, yeah, what happened afterwards? Well, there, there was a brief revival called Till Death, which was made mm. by ITV, which is why it's got a different name because they were like, oh, you're not allowed to use the name. And the idea is that uh, well, um, Else is back, but the idea is Alf and Else have moved down to Eastbourne uh, mm. with Patricia Hayes. And they're just living their life there, but it's weird. There's no, there's no audience. There's no laugh track, and it's the, oh, okay. it's, the whole vibe is very odd. It doesn't, it, it doesn't feel very nice. And so that that just sort of like didn't get very well received, and that was that was that. And then they actually did a, a proper revival called In Sickness and in Health. Incidentally, a, a Chaz and Dave theme tune, which I have had spinning round and round in my head for the last two weeks. <laughs> Do you want to sing it just to get it out? <laughs> I can't remember the opening line, but basically, so the the chorus line is in sickness and in health. I said I'll do, <laughs> like you know, how it is with earworms. You can only remember one line. I've just got that one line going round and round in my head. <laughs> but yeah, that's that started in 1985, and it was essentially just the same thing. They're a bit older. Now my old darling, they've laid her down to rest, <laughs> and now I'm missing her with all my art. Well, that obviously it. is the updated theme tune for the second series after. Ah, Elsa yeah, died. interesting. So that that's basically the one I remember. So I know that Dandy Nichols was in this first series before mm. she died, but my my memory of it as a kid was she she had died. So that yeah, in that first series, and so it's the two of them. It's a bit more of a two hander. Eunice Stubbs turns up every now and then, mm. and then they get this home help played by Eamon Walker, who is a very sort of effeminate gay black man. So obviously hilarity ensues there. Yeah, and that's that's how I remember in Sickness and in Health. So after uh, the character, both uh, uh, Dandy Nichols and the character else die. And so the, the drama, the comedy is between Alf Garnet and, and the home help, the black gay home help. Yes, and he was written out of it after a, a couple of years because really? by the late 80s, it was just like, we can't. You can't just be this racist on TV anymore. <laughs> it's just like we have to, and so they solved that by taking the black person out of the show. Um, well, perhaps, like I said, I don't want to get too deeply into in sickness and in health. We might do that another time. But I mean, it'll be interesting to, to contrast how that, you know, how the language changes, yes, how the attitude changes. Yes, it's very interesting. Even like if you watch, you said you saw some of that audience with Alf Garnet. It's sort of the last thing they did. Mm. In the 90s. He's barely even conservative at that point. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's he's just railing against, you know, a Tory rule for, what was that, eight, 18, 18 years, years or whatever yeah. it was? So, yeah, he's kind of railing against that now because look at him now. Yeah. He's still not got anything, even though they've been in power all the time. Mm. So, yeah, it's definitely, it's interesting to see how that kind of has to shift over the years because it's you just can't do it anymore and... And that I, I like that. It kind of reflects how people's attitudes changed, and 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 how you, even as an older generation, you had to just kind of accept things and and get used to them, and 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 go, okay, things aren't as bad as maybe I thought they were going to be. The in sickness and health went on for seven years. Like they really dragged that mm. out. It went until ninety two, and interesting. It became very much the Alf Garnet show with these kind of surrounding characters. Uh, in terms of other legacy things, there was there was a German remake. Uh, in mm -hmm. the 70s that sort of did a little bit of business and um, most notably probably was the american remake all in the family all in the family which was a massive mm. success in america is a huge show and i believe that was beryl virtue who who kind of got that working oh, okay. uh, working with norman lear in america and i in fact i believe it's the success of all in the family that got sanford and son made by the same team 
it, that ran for for several years throughout the seventies, and obviously expanded, and they did one hundred and fifty episodes or whatever it was. You know how they do. Uh, but yeah, with Carol O'Connor in the in the main role, and and Rob Reiner famously as the younger son-in-law character. But Archie Bunker is the name of the the Alf Garnet character, isn't he? Yes. You know, I've heard in other American films and things, I've heard Archie Bunker referenced in much the same way as one might reference Alf Garnet as a sort of stereotypical racist old fart. Oh yeah. And I mean, Family Guy is basically is, that's it's Seth MacFarlane doing an impression of Archie Bunker, and uh, yeah, yeah. and the Lois Lois is just uh, the same kind of voice and everything. It's there's there's definitely some um, some correlations there. You know, it has a, it's had a huge influence. I do believe that Johnny Spate did pretty well out of it. You know, it's, uh, good for him. Some... I have no problem with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one one other legacy element I wanted to mention, which was. Uh, when the BBC did some lost sitcoms back in 2016, we mentioned this mm. in our Steptoe and Son episode because they did one then. Uh, they did a remake of one of the early episodes, early lost episodes, uh, with Simon Day as Alf Garnet. Yeah. Now you sent this to me and um, it was very, like the production was very stagey. I mean, it was literally on a stage. It's deliberately theatrical, yes. Yeah, yeah. The camera work was such that you could see the audience and, you know, it was presented as a stage performance rather than mm. a, a TV sitcom. But it also felt very stagey. It felt like they were performing to us, you know, like a, a crowd. And it, it felt stilted, to be mm. honest. Yeah, and, and, and very similar to the Steptoe and Son one. I mean, it's terrible, basically. It's exactly the same material. It's the same script. But it really doesn't work. And I think, mm. you know, that's obviously testament to the original actors, but also the style in which it was made. Like, the mm. sort of, like, they did... They would happily sort of talk over each other. They would improv mm. each other and things like that. They would play around with it. Whereas this is a bunch of actors who have just come in and, and doing it. And, and like, and not well. And I had exactly the same feeling with Steptoe and Son. It feels like a cold read. It feels like they've given them a script and said, mm. go on, read that. It, it doesn't feel rehearsed at all. It doesn't feel like they've given any thought to the character or anything. And I don't know mm. what the production history behind it was, but they're like, that's two for two now. Absolutely appalling, really. <laughs> What's all that rat out there? Oh, that soppy moo across the road, shirt and all her in. She complained about you yesterday. Complained about you swearing, she did. Hey, Who swears? You. You swear. Her next door's complained twice. I mean, these walls are only thin, you know. Let her mind her own business, the nosy bloody moo. And uh, Simon Day is all right, actually. It's not too bad. I don't. I've yeah, never... I felt like he was doing a photocopy of Alf Garnet. It was it was an impression that wasn't quite an impression, hmm. but just didn't have the fire, didn't have the passion that drives that character. Yeah, yeah. Just to speak of the language, actually, obviously there's a lot of racial epithets, but also lots of swear words, use of the word bloody quite considerably. And it seemed just like, yeah, that was okay in those days. Like the BBC just sort of let them get away with it. I think they tried to tone it down a bit and just couldn't do it. Well, in the very first episode, which is one of the ones you sent me, I can't remember what he was talking about, but the, the line was, I couldn't bloody believe the language. And, <laughs> you know, that was a, it felt like that was a real statement of intent in the first episode. Yeah, you know, we're going to, we're going to be swear. Ooh, bloody was a swear word then, you know. Mm -hmm. That was probably not very often on the telly. Well, you know the the phrase "silly moo," which is what he commonly calls his wife. Mm -hmm. Because in the script, that was "silly cow," and and uh, one of the producers says you can't call someone a silly cow on TV. And so they end up start yeah. saying "silly moo," and that just became a bit of a catchphrase, which is yeah. interesting. But yeah, the the beauty of that, of course, and with the nature of how this was written in the sixties, that Mary Whitehouse threw a fit about all the swearing and bad language in it. I think she was more mm -hmm. concerned with the swearing than the racism. Sure. Um, but uh, 
so then Johnny Spate wrote an episode in which Alf Garnet was going on about how much he loves Mary Whitehouse and she's going to mm. keep that filth off the telly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I really like about Till Death Has Dupart is the topical nature of it. I, I love mm. the some of the references that I have to Google to understand what they're talking about, you know. Yeah. In this episode, they mentioned Charlie Claw. Yeah. Just as a kind of go-to rich man, you know, I had to look that up. Yeah, he owned Selfridges. He was the Philip Green of his day. Yeah, yeah. But I, I like all that sort of stuff. I think it's very re- reactive to what was going on around it, especially in those early years. I like that live nature of it. I like the of, the casting is amazing, like the way that they all interact with each other. Uh, where it falls down for me is I just think it's not... It's, it's realistic, mm. but that doesn't make it a pleasant watch. <laughs> it's, yeah. And yeah, that's not right. necessarily what you want from a sitcom either. And I, I, Especially when you're trying to do it, churn out episode after episode after episode, like as a one-off thing, comedy drama. And in terms of defending this as comedy defending bigotry as as comedy as satire i don't think it's satirical enough and i don't think it's clever enough it's Mm. just a little bit too superficial i'm holding a mirror up to society yeah fair enough but what point are you making i think you have to make a point i think ultimately it all comes down to the character obviously it all comes down to the character of Garnet, and he's not sympathetic enough or really at all. And the reason I don't sympathise with his position is because he, he's nasty. He's a bully. He's he's unpleasant to people that are close to him and to people in the pub and to people he works with. He's a not a nice man. And yeah. therefore, it's very... It, well, it's impossible to have any sympathy with him. Yeah. And that's why, that's why the programme falls down for me. The bits that I like... Uh, El- Dandy Nichols' timing is brilliant. Else is great, and that—that's the highlight of the show for me. Yeah. But of course, it's the Afghanistan show, and she's a much. Uh, she's a tiny part of it, really. I think we've been fair. I—I I think I went into it with an open mind, and I, I wanted to try and get past the bad words and to try and assess it mm-hmm. as a comedy. And I, I hopefully we've done that. I think I think we've been fair. I I feel like we've given it a a reasonable assessment and people might disagree with us they might like it more than we did but i am not saying oh it's a shame you can't laugh at this anymore i'm saying i didn't really laugh at it Mm. i think it's interesting that we've already covered time gentlemen please and and looked at al Mm. murray pub landlord character because that is very much the spiritual successor a little bit more wacky uh, not trying to be realistic but that means that it can be far more obviously satirical and, and comedic. Dare I say the pub landlord character is a lot cleverer. Well, that's it. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah he hides it well, but I, I take your point. I know what you're saying. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening to the opener of our third series. Next week, we'll be doing something completely different and a little bit lighter in tone for the most part. We hope you've enjoyed, and if you have any comments about Till Death Has Depart or sitcoms in general, do get in touch. We are at BritcomPod on Twitter and Instagram. And if you haven't already, do check out our YouTube page, British Sitcom History, where you can see the podcasts in video format and other extra content as well. Thank you very much for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>